0: Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the double Edge double bill. Tonight, we see if Goonies are not good enough for strange days. Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam uh, no funny quip today, Thomas.
1: And I am Thomas Mariani and Adam, please stop making me do the shuffle (laughs) shuffle. It's so (laughs) humiliating. Stop. (laughs) Stop. No. <laughs> okay. But yes, uh we are here and we're not the only ones here. We have a guest today. We have uh from Desmond's Flicks, the titular Desmond Alexander Peel. Desmond, how's it going?
2: Hey, how's it going? I'm the titular one, huh? That's that sounds a little kinky.
1: Well, I mean well, that, that's, for, that's for after dark. <laughs> double Shovel Bill Edge, double edge. <laughs> after dark. Yeah, um, you gotta
2: see Desmond after dark.
1: That's for the future Patreon page. Um, <laughs> <laughs> My
2: only fans page. Check it out. <laughs> it's just you. <laughs> uh,
1: but Desmond, uh, we invited you on, and I gave you a list of topics, and you decided to come on for, of all things, our continuation of Overrated and Underrated. Why did that uh, spark your fancy?
2: I have... An issue with like really big films just getting completely blown out of proportion to being like, you know, these kind of held on a pedestal type of films. And there's so many films that I've seen where it's like you talk about this one over here. But what about this? What about like Dagon or something? Something really that no one ever thinks about. And that just that just really interested me to talk about some films that, you know, people should check out. You might have forgotten about
1: fun fact that was a previous topic that we did on the show yeah dagon yeah it was my choice i love that fucking movie. oh
2: my god dude it's my favorite Stuart gordon film it's so good we did that in orca so yeah one of those our, our sea good.
1: creature double feature yes <laughs> well um today in celebration of doing overrated and underrated uh we are doing as our underrated pick adam's pick Strange Days uh, from Catherine Bigelow and then my personal overrated pick of The Goonies which I know the controversy has been looming about me doing that all yeah, the 80s it. kids are just at my door with pitchforks and torches um,
0: But I'm one of those you fuck <laughs> we'll get into that
1: <laughs> but uh, firebad and let's keep going into our first film The Underrated Strange Days Have you ever checked in? Have you ever wire tripped? No. A virgin brain. Well, we're gonna start you off right.
0: This isn't like TV, only better. This is life, pure and uncut, straight from the cerebral cortex. You're there. You're doing it. Seeing it. Hearing it. Hearing it. Hearing it. You're feeling it. I can get you anything you want.
1: You just have to talk to me. Talk to me. Talk, talk to me. Talk to me. You say it. You even think it. Yeah. Are we beginning to see the possibilities here? So, uh, Strange Days came out um, October 6, 1995, directed by, as I mentioned, Catherine Bigelow, with a script written by her ex-husband, even at the time, uh, James Cameron and Jay Cox, um, and is a movie that was... uh, pretty sort of infamous as a flop when it came out initially in 95 and then kind of disappeared off the radar. Um, It grossed only $8 million based on its $42 million budget and uh, all that's on the screen for sure. It's a big, big movie. Um, And Adam, this was underrated to you. Uh, Why would you say this one is underrated?
0: Well, I mean, just the fact that it was a $42 million budget and what they pulled off, like you said, this is a huge movie. And it's got such a huge cast. I mean, there are so many faces in this movie that is. I mean, come on, dude. Ray Fiennes, Angela Bassett, Tom Sizemore, uh, Michael Wincott from one of our previous uh, Alien episodes, William Fickner. I mean, it's just on and on and on. And it's just such a cool and unique story. And kind of press in a little bit still. There's some (laughs) things that happen maybe
1: maybe Did you see some stuff in the news about
0: this maybe I... have you seen this have you heard about this <laughs> jay leto is on the show everybody no i just absolutely love this movie I, I remember the previews when it was coming out and i was just so interested to like to see what the hell it was and then obviously it died a very fast death and then when it came out on home video i think i bought it like either the day or the week it came out well by i bought it i mean my mom bought it i think i was like 12 and ever since then i've just loved this movie
1: so you're one of the, like, handful of people who have a home video copy of this movie? Had. Well, that's weird because it's not really that readily available right now. Like, Desmond, you were talking to me about this when we were messaging for the show. You weren't able to secure a copy yourself.
2: Yeah, and, but I've seen this movie, I don't even know how many times, like, because I absolutely love this movie, and Catherine Bigelow is just amazing.
1: Yes, and this is her sort of blank check after she did Point Break and was, like, a huge success he's like, oh, do whatever the fuck you want. And she really did. Because <laughs> uh-huh. I I am stunned a studio ever made a movie like this. Like a oh, big yeah. major studio like Fox would actually make this fucking movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. a lot of controversial shit in this movie, man.
1: Oh my god. Yeah, not to mention just like the expensiveness is on the screen, which is like the point of view camera stuff, which they literally innovated. Like there wasn't a camera to do a lot of the point of view stuff that's in this movie. So they created a whole new camera rig. To do it, and many movies have tried to do that since, but this is, like, the best example. With, like, right from that opening robbery scene is, like, some of the best, like, it's like you're in the fucking movie. Yeah. It's phenomenal.
2: And you know what else is phenomenal is Angela Bassett's arms. Come on. <laughs> oh, my
1: God, she's so jacked in this. Oh, my God.
2: She should have been Storm.
0: I wish she not storm. And then you see her in Black Panther, and she looks the same with white hair, and you're like, oh, God damn it!
2: Yeah, yeah, she never ages.
0: <laughs> no, she looks fantastic, <laughs> dude. D'Onofrio and William Fichtner in this are just yeah. You know, th- those guys might uh, might still be around today. Uh, guys like that, a little bit, a little bit. But maybe who knows? Maybe <laughs> the headlines, uh, here and there.
1: I mean, name one awful piece of shit racist cop that's killed a minority. Never happens. Uh, Yeah. You know what? I can't. You're right, Thomas. (laughs) This discussion is taking on a whole different turn, then. See, this white guy clearly is telling everyone the truth, and (laughs) nothing... No, I so agree with that, especially because I didn't see this actually until fairly recently. I was going through Catherine Bigelow's films because I hadn't seen a lot of her movies prior to, like, earlier this year. I, like, I actually watched Point Break for the first time. This is, like, in January and, like, a bunch of her other movies. And Strange Days was the one that said to me, it's like, oh, my God, why don't more people talk about this movie? Because it's it's like you mentioned, there's so much relevant stuff. And especially, I think the big thing is the cast is so great. But the weird thing is, like, if you told me, hey, you know who's going to play this, like, used car salesman piece of shit to, like, sells virtual technology. Ray Fiennes, I would be been like, what? That, right. that doesn't sound like a Ray Fiennes part, but you watch it's like, he is so great at that part. What a yeah.
0: weaselly little... Like, he just comes off as a greasy weasel in the beginning yeah. of the movie with his suits and ties. and But then it's like, as it gets into it, you're like, man, there's so many layers to this fucking character. Uh, it just... God damn it, Thomas! I cannot believe you just—I'm still stuck on I mean, you. Just saw Point Break recently. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm, for years it was just like, oh yeah, it's that movie in Hot Fuzz with like Bad Boys Two. That's what <laughs> it was for me for so long. Oh, uh, no, uh, but no, I've seen it now and it's phenomenal. Obviously, it's a great movie. Still holds up quite well. But to go back to the whole Ray Fiennes thing, what's interesting is the attempted castings they tried to do for this Ray Fiennes character. Where at the time they were courting Arnold Schwarzenegger. Denzel Washington, oh, Michael sakes. Keaton, Tom Cruise, Jeff Bridges, Mel Gibson, Bruce Willis, Andy Garcia, Nicolas Cage, Patrick Swayze, John Travolta, Adam's favorite, oh, yeah. um, Sean Penn, Bill Paxton, Dennis Quaid, and Kurt Russell.
0: Oh, wow. Dennis Quaid or Travolta. Woo. I know yeah, all your favorites. Yeah. Oh, Christ.
1: <laughs> Sean Penn might have worked, actually. That would have been really weird, though. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine Ring- Arnold, though? No, I mean, at that time, I could believe they would have cast oh, him. Of course, they would Come on, stay out
0: of it. This is between me and
1: Faith. <laughs> but, yeah. but can you imagine? On the other hand, it's like Angel Bass comes up, just like you, weasly little prick. It's like it's <laughs> six foot it's eight for the Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, yeah, right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I can't imagine her saying that to Denzel either. No, that's
1: true. Yeah, I mean, like a Nicholas Cage probably would have been. Oh, like man. the have been awesome one that too. I mean, yeah. one, at this time, I don't know, this is around the time of leaving Las Vegas when he was more consistent. As yeah. an actor. <laughs> but but anyway, but still, Ray Fiennes is the last person would have imagined. But apparently, Catherine Bigelow was so impressed with him in Schindler's List that she immediately said, "Like, I need him to be in this movie." And it makes sense because, like in Schindler's List, he does another pretty good job of like making a, obviously a very evil character like very human and complex at the same time. So, it's, I think it fits, and I think especially just when he's going off at the beginning of the movie, as you mentioned, he's just, like, such a total sleazeball, and the gradual progression where he's never not kind of a sleazy piece of shit, but at the very least, he's a human mm-hmm. sleazy piece of shit.
0: Yeah, he's flawed, he's hurt, yeah. he's, you know, loved and lost, he you know, everything has happened to this guy and he's just trying to make do and deal with his own insecurities and issues. And he, I mean, he's even, he's addicted to what he's selling. I mean, he's a drug dealer addicted to his own product.
2: And it's all memories. It's all just like continually reliving these happier memories. And one of my favorite scenes is when he and Angela Bassett are talking about him basically being a junkie. And she was like, Memories weren't made to stay forever. You know, I'm just paraphrasing. They're supposed to fade. That's that's the point of memories. That's what makes us human. And I that like encompasses, I feel like, the entire film where it's like you can't be able to hold on to these things forever. That's that's the whole point of living and and being a human being is to live in that moment and have those memories and, and hold those as you know, something special and to turn it into you know this this thing that can be bought and sold it defeats you know the beauty of being a human being and and having those memories for yourself
1: yeah i mean it's basically it's the anti-nostalgia movie in a lot of ways because you see like the world crumbling around and people are so obsessed with like how about this like fantasy that i want or this um, sort of memory of the past that I want to relive forever and ever. It's a it's a great example of that. It it, it digs at what all great sci fi does. Take a conceit that's otherworldly, less so now, obviously, given our modern technology. But that's what makes it even more prescient. Like take that sort of otherworldly concept and really relate it to a human, very true flaw. In this case of just like you want to relive those memories when the world's crumbling apart around you. It's a sci fi movie where it feels like a, the most realistic sci-fi universe, where it's like, yeah, it's a couple years in the future, given from 95 to 99, but the only thing that's different is the technology's updated, everything's just, like, really shitty.
2: Yeah. And and it definitely, like, it, it being set in LA so closely after the LA riots and the Rodney King beating, mm-hmm. all of those things that were happening at that time was all reflected in the film. And what's you know really really hard to watch in this film is when the bad cops get their come ins. Yeah, everything gets shot on video, it gets recorded, it gets shown to the police and the these two cops, one of them kills himself and the other one dies in a shootout and the police like take initiative to take him out. Now fast forward to 2017, 2018, 2019, all of these events are shot on film, shot on people's cell phones and nothing happens for the most part nothing happens and it's it's almost like man or we're like almost living like a like a worse sci-fi environment in a lot of ways than strange days yep
1: Yeah. fun for the whole family <laughs> uh yeah. but no but no yeah i i totally agree with that i think it's it, the sad thing is like if they hadn't really committed suicide in like our world it would have just been like oh yeah they go to trial and they get like acquitted and then it's fine right Yep. Become
0: a, they'll become a security guard somewhere or some bullshit.
1: Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, Tom, so
0: I want to get on to it, though, because last, uh, the Aliens episode, he was your least favorite. How do you feel about Michael Wincott in this? as Philo.
1: I mean, it. I like this a lot more. It fits more in, like, The Crow, where he's um, a bit more of, like, a um, weird, gangly guy with, like, you mentioned the awesome voice. Um, oh, his voice is the best. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, it works, especially as, like, Sort of this in between between Juliet Lewis and Ray Fiennes,
0: which is my favorite line of the movie. You know, where he's like, uh, "This is between me and Faith." And like, funny, I don't feel anything between you and Faith. I'm like, <laughs> Robin puts his hand in between him. Like, what a fucking scumbag <laughs> prick!
1: <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, it's like you mentioned, Adam. This movie is so impeccably cast, right down to the opening bit where who is Ray Fiennes? like connection. Oh, it's Richard Edson, like the guy who was the scummy Parker guy in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Like, of course, he's the perfect guy (laughs) to play that fucking part. Like, Catherine Bigelow just knew how to stack up this cast with, like, all the perfect people, including, I know, one of your favorite actors, Adam, Tom Sizemore, and arguably, I think, his finest role.
0: I'd say, yeah, definitely arguably. Um, I still think maybe his performance at Save Pride Ryan might overtake it. No, he's fantastic in this. Talk about a fucking just uber villain. And their fight... Him and Ray Fiennes is one of the most brutal fucking fights, dude. It definitely works because, you know, obviously him and Lenny were partners and they have this outstanding friendship and even, like, inside jokes with each other. But, I mean, this guy's just puppeteering the whole fucking time. And, uh, no, Tom Sizemore is absolutely fantastic in this movie. Too bad the crack got a hold of him.
1: <laughs> well, I was gonna say like maybe it's less this is his best performance, and like his most accurate performance to his own visage, his most authentic performance, as it were. <laughs> um, but um, I think what I also like is that um, watching it the second time, you get, see so much of like how he's like just subtly performing overly, like that bit where he sees the actual tape, which we have to talk about at some point. The whole horrible rape uh. murder that happens, how he just takes us like, well, I guess I'm not gonna eat. For a year. And it's like, it's just overperformed enough to where it's like, oh, he is just putting this out there to kind of dissuade any oh, connection. Oh, he's into
0: it. Yeah, right. he's yeah. into everything that's going on. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, and you know, Juliette Lewis, too. Not not a horrible performance from her in this, either. I'm usually not a huge fan of hers. I don't hate her. I don't like her. She's just kind of a fill for me in a lot of things. But she's pretty good in this, too. I don't understand why... All these dudes would be, like, fighting over her.
2: I mean, Yeah, out of all the women, it's Juliette <laughs> Lewis? Yeah. Ray
0: uh, finds Tom Sizemore, and Michael Wincott are all like
2: that.
0: Oh, way go Juliette
1: Lewis. I, I would argue that like it's all in the way that she really performs, because like, she's not the most traditionally like, attractive actress necessarily, but what I like is that here she has this sort of like mysterious elusiveness to her that I could see why people would be attracted to her. She comes across like a junkie. Well, I mean, I mean, kind, but I mean, especially in like the scenes where Ray finds like reliving those older moments, you can see where it's like, oh, I can see why someone would be like kind of attractive. Like she seems like a fun, mysterious persona, but then as it goes along, right, you find out she's more of like a junkie and she is more kind of desperate uh, as it kind of goes along. That sheen comes off of her. I like the fact that I think that speaks to the craft of her performance that it feels like somebody who can allure, but then you kind of dig into the surface like, oh, you're severely damaged. Hey, man,
0: different strokes.
1: <laughs> nice anyway uh, <laughs> anyway uh but uh desmond what's who's your favorite supporting performance in this movie
2: oh angela bassett like she just knocks out of the park you know we, we're focused so much on ray fine's character but i always find myself like always going to angela bassett she steals every scene that she's in and she just has this this you know vibe about her she's such a strong performer and i just really like the how ray fines and angela bassett they perform off one another um she's just a fantastic actress like there's not one performance that i have seen her in where she can be in a bad movie but she's able to class it up and make it better um just by her being in it yeah and she's an uber badass in this movie too yeah.
1: You you can tell, it, it, it kind of feels like, especially the sort of the character that Catherine Bigelow is most drawn to. mm mm-hmm. Because um, it, it almost feels like a surrogate for Catherine Bigelow in terms of like, oh, legitimately badass, don't fuck with her lady. Um, especially that whole scene with the fucking limo where she stops everything and it's just like, you need to stop being a fucking asshole, Ray mm-hmm. Like, I'm trying to work, you just leech off of people, I have a son and rent to pay, and you're fucking everything up for me. And especially where he's like, come on, we're still friends, right? I'm gonna think that over a bit. Because <laughs> friends don't fucking do shit like this. Right. Like, I, I totally agree. It's it's maybe my favorite performance of hers. It, yeah, easily. For sure, where it's easily. like... Well, I mean, because like Desmond said, she's always consistently a mm-hmm. good actress. Like, when I was watching American Horror Story... And those later seasons, just like, oh god, why, why am I fucking doing this? Oh, Angela Bassett! Yeah, right. I agree.
0: You're being great. Yeah, like Freak yeah. Show, you're like, oh, Jesus. oh, good lord, Freak Show! <laughs> <Bass>. like, <sighs> oh, there she is. Oh, more there. Oh no, she's leaving. Come okay, back, oh, no. <laughs> Angela. Why is Kathy Bates talking like that? What? Oh, oh no. <laughs> Yeah, no, she's fantastic, but uh, Donofrio and Fickner in this are just such pieces of shit. Are, yeah, William Fickner, especially to me. He, I mean, Donofrio is like the crazy pit bull. Well, William Fickner is kind of like just goes along with him almost because like he's almost like maybe afraid of him or something. But he just, William Fickner always plays this part, though, just the scumbag, and uh. <laughs>
1: Well, I don't, he, he alternates between kind of being that role, but also the Vincent and Alfie role in certain other movies. I think he's played like both sides of that coin.
0: Dude, the soundtrack to this movie, be it the actual licensed music or the score, is fantastic. The way this movie is shot, not only just the POV, but uh, the regular, you know, steady camera, whatever you want to call it, or fixed camera, it looks beautiful. This movie, like you said, at 42 million, it's all on the screen, but you could have told me this was a hundred million dollar budget movie and I would have believed it just because of the locales and the, you know, the sprawling cityscapes and then the dirty bars and all the actors and the costuming and the extra work. And I mean, this movie is so giant. Um, It reminds me just in scope of like, almost like a blade runner where there's so much on screen. Um, And also as far as being an underappreciated sci-fi well, Blade Runner probably isn't now, but it was at the time. I I can't fucking believe how many people have still not seen this movie or even heard
1: of it. To speak to that whole crowd thing, I loved doing research for this. The whole ending um, sort of climactic big New Year's party I love was apparently mainly done by like getting 10,000 people out to a big concert they were pulling off, where we had, like, Aphex Twin and D-Light, so Super nice. D-Light? Um, all, yeah. D-Light, oh, yes! no! Groove is in the heart, Adam! I will not hear anything less. Come on. <laughs> um, but, um, and all, of like, a bunch of, like, quote-unquote cyber-techno bands, and it went from 9pm until 4am because five people were hospitalized for suffering from overdoses on ecstasy. Wow. Five out of ten thousand, though. That's that's true. Uh-huh. You know, that's that's good that's point. odds.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good odds. Oh, and they had to pay ten dollars to get in. Yes. Well, there you go. It gives you a quick hundred G's, right? The only good profit job. this
1: movie pretty much made, yeah, basically. I, I think what's interesting also is that you get the James Cameron and Captain Bigelow partnership, which obviously was also a thing with like Point Break. He did a lot of work on, and with this movie too. Um, and we've kind of seen a resurgence of that with like Battle Angel Alita with James Cameron kind of coming in and doing a script that you know gets a director to like make one of their better movies I wish James Cameron would just do this more as opposed to like just making fucking Avatar movies or just directing big giant movies is coming in and being like a good story support person for another director because I think he
0: does I 100% agree
1: I think yeah. he does such a great job of that, especially here the partnership is so great and it's a shame that that That'll never happen again, most likely. Because uh, I think even Catherine Bigelow has kind of gone to this phase where, like, after this movie, she didn't really make any more genre pictures. She made uh, stuff like K-19 The Widowmaker, uh, one of the most Box boring Six. fucking movies that's uh, ever existed.
0: Harrison Ford with his Russian accent.
1: <laughs> oh, the best Russian accent of all time, Adam. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> t- I, that was part of that marathon I did of, like, Catherine Bigelow, movies. like, oh oh no no but even like the more recent things like obviously I love Hurt Locker but Zero Dark Thirty and Detroit I felt her kind of like these are she does a great job directing them but I've kind of felt like I wish that she sort of had another influence besides like Mark Bull who just keeps making her do like these very grounded dramatic sort of based on a true story things and kind of goes back to doing something like this because uh-huh. like even Detroit didn't do that well so I would hope she'd be able mm-hmm. to come back and just do something weird and exciting like this. Cause she is such a great genre director between point break this and obviously Near Dark, which is tremendous yeah. movie. I, I, I think she is such a master of like taking genres that you wouldn't think she would do and just making like the best thing out of it, especially at the time. That three punch is like such a great example of like how a director can take a genre they might not be that accustomed to, like especially horror or in this case sci fi, and just doing a tremendous job from an outside perspective. Yeah,
0: absolutely, and to touch a little bit on what you said about James Cameron uh, I 100% agree with you but, I mean, let's just be honest here his ego would not allow that Yeah. for him to not run the ship completely
1: Ah, uh, Titanic, I made a joke I didn't realize <laughs> it <laughs> That's true, I mean, this is pre-Titanic, this is pre-him doing like, the two highest grossing movies of the time he'd done Terminator 2, which admittedly was one of the higher grossing ones but he was still kind of suffering that abyss humbleness, like, no, I gotta stay humble Got collaborate. This is a dope ass movie. No, I mean it is, but it was a failure at the time.
0: Yeah, well, you know,
1: can't all be winners, Thomas. <laughs> well, and, and I love the whole factor. Of, like, this was actually sort of a co-production thing with True Lies, where like James Cameron got such a huge deal of like, hey, we're gonna give you, I think it was like somewhere around a hundred and forty million dollars to do like whatever you want. It's like, okay, I'll do Strange Days and True Lies. And True Lies at the time was, like, the most expensive movie of all time. And then it's like, hey, Strange Days, you get the rest of it <laughs> mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I mean, obviously it worked out, though, because True Lies was a monster hit. Yes. And it's still actually kind of a good movie. It's fun. Kind of. I did rewatch it's, that, too, there's, recently. There's things in it that are like, oh, boy. But there's still some fun to it, too. Yes. The only stand like, Tom
1: Arnold performance
0: where I'm like, yeah, I like
1: Tom Arnold in this. I don't know. Even then, like rewatching that movie, he's such a fucking slimy piece of shit. Well, yeah, he's Tom Arnold. It's Tom Arnold, <laughs> but he's just constantly just like, oh man, look at your hot wife. Hey man, your wife's super yeah. fucking hot. Hey, look at your wife, Jamie Lee Curtis, and she fucking hot. Calm down, Tom. Oh. Right, she's hot. <laughs> yeah, we get Tom it. Again, Tom Arnold. Uh, anyway, anyway, we're getting too far off track from that. Uh, but uh, do no, you...
0: I want to. I want to keep talking about Tom Arnold.
1: The hell with the movies. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we could save that for Thomas and Thomas's TomCast. Oh, uh, we got to do that. We got to go through all this filmography. <laughs> Obviously, what we all wanted to. But uh, Desmond, save us. Here's a life mess, please, uh, to talk a bit more about Catherine Bigelow and James Cameron. Yeah. Here.
2: I mean, you can see um, his fingerprint all over this film. You know, the way that the characters um, are written, uh, it's very much like that James Cameron voice – And some of the ways that the film is shot definitely has that James Cameron um, influence. But then you have Catherine Bigelow, who, to your point earlier, she's just an amazing director between Near Dark and Point Break, this and Hurt Locker. I mean, you, you're you able to see her do a variety of films from multiple different genres, and she nails it every single time. And I'd love to see her do another horror film again because Near Dark is easily my favorite vampire film of all time. And it's just – it's so pitch perfect. And the same thing with Strange Days. Like with Adam, I saw this – Back in the day on VHS, I think a couple of years after it came out, I'd never seen anything like that, especially that opening scene. So yeah, I mean, their partnership, even though it wasn't profitable, were able to see you know the amount of love and effort and work that went, went into it because you can tell that they really cared about this project. There wasn't this thought, at least from when I watched it, that you know they're trying to cash in on anything, whereas like you know a True Lies is obviously a film that's out there to make a ton of money. This one just it felt like it was you know more of um, a labor of love making this film, and I love films like that.
0: They didn't care about well, I'm sure they cared about the money, but it never felt like it was about the money. It didn't feel like it was a throwaway project at all, uh, right. which you do see happen a lot. Where you can tell there's nobody's into it, but they just got it a contract, they got to make the movie. This one, you could tell, they wanted it to succeed. Uh, just, I don't know if, if it's because of the timing of when it came out, or the fact that most of the cast was still kind of relatively new. But they, I, I still am surprised that this movie didn't succeed because of how weird it is. But maybe that's why.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's that's part of it. And just the fact that it, it also deals with such like brutal subject matter even for the time. Like we haven't we've skirted over it, but. That, that entire sequence where you see it from Tom first point of view of this break in, assault, rape, and then murder of mm-hmm. this woman is one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen in him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and the fact of the matter is that they even go so far to explain that he then puts the you know, the squid or whatever on her head so she can see and feel what he's feeling. Yep. Terrifying. While doing it. You're like, what? What sick fuck came up with this? Oh, good lord. I mean, that is just awful. That is awful, 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 terrifying shit.
1: Yeah, and I think at the same time, I think that really sells a lot to like Catherine Bigelow's style, where she tends to be a director who like goes for the most sort of like brutal, honest truth about a moment. Yeah. And I think especially something like that just shows it's just like it's this touch that I don't think that many of the directors would do where it's like she puts you in that uncomfortable position while being tasteful at the same time. Like, you just see the shot of, like, the belt unbuckling, and that's all you really need, thankfully. Um, and then the actual murder happens, and especially the po- the touch of having Tom Sizemore do, like, the sort of, like, camera thing with his fingers at her dead face. Oh, and he just... opens her eyes. Yep. Oh, oh, God so i'm sure we sold you all on this movie if you haven't seen it before
0: yeah hey
1: guys (laughs) remember the nazi from schindler's list he's a drug dealer it's like hey the nazi from schindler's list one of your heroes in the movie just see how low the other ones go (laughs)
2: God. but we are blessed with angela bassett's amazing arms so it kind of offsets itself i
1: mean especially when she's facing (laughs) off against anafrio and Fitchner she whooped like the that. shit out of them yeah, yeah. She, another great terrifying shot is D'Onofrio coming up with blood all over his face after William Fitchner commits suicide and all the blood spiders yeah. on him he is like a monster that's what that I thing. said
0: he looks like a fucking raging pitbull yeah you know just just with a fixed point he's he's gonna get her he doesn't care what the hell happens and uh yeah he's terrifying this is one of my favorite D'Onofrios too which is saying a lot, because I like a lot of Vincent D'Onofrio performances. I really hate other ones, but I... <laughs> Jurassic World! But I uh, I really dig him in this one.
1: Yeah, it's not too long before uh, his uh, iconic turn as Edgar the Bug, from a previous movie we talked about.
0: One of the best ever. Yeah. One of the best ever.
1: For sure. But uh, let's get into our final thoughts then. Desmond, your final thoughts on Strange Days.
2: Yeah, it's... I mean, this film is criminally underrated, if you haven't seen strange days you do yourself a favor and check it out it's a fantastic film it's by catherine bigelow i mean again you look at her filmography and no matter what you're you're gonna get really good quality in her films for the most part but you're gonna get really good quality plus james cameron partnering with her and an awesome cast and a film that was really ahead of its time There was nothing that was really out there like this. I feel like the closest thing that I can think of off the top of my head in the 90s was, like, Johnny Mnemonic, which is a pretty cool uh, sci-fi flick. But this one is, like, one of the better science fiction films that came out in the 90s, -90s. mid-90s. So, yeah, check it out. It's a freaking fantastic movie.
0: Adam? I absolutely second everything Desmond just said. If you... Like science fiction, you like ensemble casts, good soundtracks, and the guy from Schindler's List, I guess. But if you're a Ray Fiennes fan, too, this is a really good one to see where it's totally him playing against his usual type. Like, this isn't Voldemort or anything like that. This is, you know, him really showing his range, and I just think it's fantastic. And plus, again, pre-crack cocaine Tom Sizemore's actually, he is a delight in this movie. The groove was in my heart. That's why I made that joke.
1: Well, the chills that you spill go up my back, Adam. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, I I really do enjoy this movie a lot. I will say it's a bit long. I think you could have trimmed maybe about fifteen minutes or so out of the movie because it's about two twenty-five, which is it, I, I think it, really. Like, yeah, it's 2 hours and 25 minutes <laughs> It doesn't feel
0: like that to me at all. I gotta be honest.
1: I noticed it more upon this watch. It's a bit long, but that it's a, it's a minor issue because I agree, it's a very underrated movie. I thought it was a really good pick, Adam, for underrated, just because I, I think it's another one also that's just underseen because how unavailable it is on home video, which is so unfortunate in streaming. It's really a movie that deserves to be rediscovered by a lot of people, especially in our modern times. It's so relevant and really just speaks to a lot of problems that linger to this day that Captain Bigelow was just on the pulse of in the mid-90s so just keep on going now and it's a great cast it's a great sci-fi future the technology um, it, the soundtrack as you mentioned it's such a wonderful film that I hope more people discover and you know like I said Disney owns Fox now you know would help me kind of get over the crushing horrible possibilities of a mega conglomerate A Strange Days Blu-ray remastered please
0: <laughs> hey, hey, hey scream factory get the come
1: on <laughs> no, I, I suppose it, it deserves one of those shout factory releases for sure
2: arrow video yeah,
0: I would yeah, say arrow or that too go <laughs> uh, cr- <criterium>. <laughs> a criteria make a criterion
1: movie. <laughs> Yeah, you know I'd be all over that. Fucking okay, right, of course you would. May, may, no. <laughs> I'll put it right next to my dinner with Andre Blu-ray over here. Uh, <laughs> uh, but let's talk about a movie that will probably never get a Criterion Collection set um, at some point. Um, it is The Goonies.
2: Steven Spielberg presents The Goonies you guys realize what we could do? But they're not alone. (laughs) Chunk, I hope that was your stomach. Join the adventure as Steven Spielberg presents The Goonies, a Richard Donner
1: film. So The Goonies is a very beloved film from 1985, directed by Richard Donner of Superman fame. Uh, written by Chris Columbus and Steven Spielberg, one of the few writing credits Steven Spielberg actually has on a movie. There's only like a handful of those. And, you know, came out June 7, 1985. Is a much-beloved 80s kid classic. And I watched this as a kid, even though I wasn't around in the 80s. And I grew up with a lot of these Amblin movies, and I still love a lot of those, you know, like your ETs, your Gremlins, your Batteries Not Included, even. And I still like a lot of those movies, but even when I was a kid, I wasn't ever the hugest fan of Goonies, and I was just like, you know, I like this adventure. I like the idea of, like, being a kid and finding a treasure map and going off and finding pirate treasure. But at the same time, even when I was a kid, I was just like, I don't like these kids going on the adventure that much, though. I'm not a big fan of, honestly, most of the characters in the movie, because I think it's this weird mix where it's a very over-the-top sort of adventure movie that has sort of Steven Spielberg touches and all that. But... It kind of also has that mix of, like, what Richard Donner usually did with, like, even a Superman as silly as some like that or The Omen can be. He kind of had, like, a more grounded sensibility that came from his television work. And I feel like that's always a constant struggle with this movie, because, like, big over-the-top set pieces in comedy, but these kids are, like, yelling over each other in a very realistic kid way. And even though I was a kid, I was just like, I find this kind of annoying and now I find it kind of insufferable at points. But I don't hate this movie necessarily. I just think its status as a sort of classic is a bit overdone for me.
0: That's when you go ahead. I'm about to pass out from rage. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I, I grew up with this film. I was born in 84. Um, so I watched this a lot as a little kid. And I loved it as a kid. It was... Between that and the monster squad that my brother and I would watch over and over again as kids, Monster Squad is my personal favorite over the goonies. I'm just a monster squad guy. Mm-hmm. but there's there's a lot of charm to this film, and rewatching it again, you definitely see the influence that stranger things took from it and the revival of you know just the aesthetic of. 80s films, especially the all of those like Spielberg and Donner and the those films that came out in the mid 80s that we beloved. I, I do feel that it's one of those films that has been held at a very high peak when it comes to you know these kind of coming of age uh, group of kids story going on an adventure. I don't think it's an amazing movie like a lot of people think it is. I think it's really good. But, I mean, I personally prefer Monster Squad over this, and I'll always gravitate more towards that. Um, but, I mean, it's it's fun for for what it is, um, and it's definitely like a film of its time. It feels very 80s. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I get all that, and I, I do I, – like I said, I respect the influence that it does have. And there's stuff I do really like about this movie that we'll get into, but um, Adam, if you're done being passed out from rage and you've risen – What? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, all right. I also grew up with this movie. I was born in 83, so just a year before you, Desmond. And, uh, yeah, this, this and Monster Squad for me was also on rotation. We covered Monster Squad on another episode. I love the Monster Squad. I mean, it's one of my all-time favorite. to me. That is – that, I'd say, and Gremlins are the quintessential children's horror movies to get kids yeah. into horror. This movie – I absolutely love too, because it reminded me of like Indiana Jones with kids, just the sense of adventure, the sense of, you know, the action, the, the, the bad guy. I love the Fratellis. I mean, I absolutely love them. I can watch it now and understand some of the problems with it. I absolutely can. I'm not one of those like, it's a classic. Don't fucking, there's nothing wrong with it. No, that's not true. There are things wrong with it, but it will never not be a personal classic to me because I loved it so much as a child. But with that being said, I am able to step back and look at things and be like, well, maybe the Asian kid shouldn't be really good at inventing and coming through things like yeah. that.
1: <laughs> it's not necessarily that that he's good at inventing, but it's just that that's literally all his character is. Yes. That's, that's just what it's just like, oh, look, here's another invention gag. Here's another just like it's prop comedy it feels like he's like fucking little carrot time, right. just doing like more fucking bullshit props like even as a kid i was just like this is kind of stupid and i was like i think eight oh my god just i'm like you this had, is a what bit this, silly you
0: i swear to god you were like reading kafka at eight years old smoking
1: <laughs> clove cigarettes <laughs> gregor samson woke up to realize he was a bug uh no <laughs> It's it's just a problem for me of like I don't really like most of these kid characters. If anything, I will say to say a positive to the movie, especially upon this rewatch, I do love all the teens. I think Brolin, which this was his only really big role for like a solid twenty With years, over his sweatpants, it's so fucking bizarre. <laughs> yeah, except yes, no, it's it's very odd. Um, but I think he's really fun. But the MVP of this movie, the underrated MVP, is Martha Plimpton. Yes, yeah, like she is so yeah. consistently fucking funny every single line that she has like it's like uh brand god put that rock there for a purpose and uh yeah. you probably shouldn't move it <laughs> like just shit like that she is so fucking sour and she's like 15 years old when she's making this movie and she is just like so dead on perfect and it, it proves that like she's such an undervalued actress in general even at that age like she makes even I really don't like the whole scene where it's like Sean Astin gets kissed yeah. by the Andy character in the dark I think it's just like an yeah. over labored joke that's also creepy, but just it's still really over and long. But her, like, save of just like, you should probably kiss him when he's in the light. He might like it a bit more.
0: Uh, so who's your favorite of the kids, though?
1: <sighs> um, I guess Feldman by default, because he feels like an actual actor, even though he's very overperformative. I can at least say that, like, he's a bit more interesting, whereas I I think Sean Astin is such an awful wiener kid. Or Sean Astin's
0: a little weasel.
1: He's such I a weird like guy. One-eyed willy! Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah! With his fucking... You're right, one-eyed willy. His question's got an ass. Get the fuck out of here with this kid. <laughs> I, I like Chunk, personally. Especially when he's with the Fratellis. Not so much with Sloth, but when he's with the Fratellis and just the fucking shit that spills out of that kid's mouth. Right? You know? <laughs> like when they're interrogating him and he tells him everything. From when he was a, like a real young kid till now. But yeah, no, I agree. Sean Asin is just like nerve gratingly annoying.
2: Yeah, the the kid who played Chunk is my favorite, easily. Like he's just he always entertains me. He's like, you know, doing the truffle shuffle. It's like how it's it's fun. It's so much fun and I I, I do like uh like sloth, you know, just the whole hey you guys
1: well, I mean weirdly the thing is with sloth, I thought going in is like, oh, this is gonna be the part that doesn't hold up the most about this movie, uh, given obviously it's like, oh, it's this mentally handicapped and all this other stuff. I'm like, oh, is this going to be pretty bad? Weirdly, I think the Sloth stuff still works because they at least treat him with the respect. And there's a bit more of like an arc where they treat him as a monster and he's like in the shadows and stuff like that. And they come to realize like, oh no, this guy is just like, he's a big, fun kid basically, but he's like, they still like... just wants a baby roof. He wants a yeah. baby roof, yeah, yeah. He wants to be Superman and all that other shit. Like, I, he, the weird thing is, though, I forgot Sloth doesn't come into this movie until like an hour in as an actual character. Mm-hmm. I forgot that he's not really that involved with this movie, for the most part. He's only in like three or four scenes, but at least he makes more of an impression. I would argue that I, I would rather be around Sloth than like most of these kids. Even like with Chunk, I mean, it's it's partially probably, you know, growing up a fat kid, that it's kind of like oh this the one fat kid in your movie and always literally like in the face of danger just trying to eat ice cream, at any point, Shit. I think I would do that. <laughs> I would do. That. <laughs> he's stress
0: eating, man. Yeah, dude, you wait until Shit. you go home to do that. I'd see the comet coming and just shove fucking hot dogs in my mouth.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it, it's not necessarily just the like whole like oh fat shaming thing or whatever. It's just more like it's a repetitive joke, and I don't blame it on the kid. Any of these kid actors don't really blame for that. It's just, I think that a lot of these jokes are so repetitive in one note that it, especially like you, even though it's like, oh, we're supposed to get a sense of like, they're the loser camaraderie kind of thing. I don't really feel it as much. It feels like all these kids are just like real bullies to each other and real dicks. And it's just like, why, why am I even Mm -hmm. hanging out with like all these people that just seem to only like each other because they're the only ones. I don't feel much of the actual kinship between them. As opposed to like a monster squad, I completely agree. I think you get more of a kinship there's a, a better fat kid because Horace gets to have that fucking my name is Horace bit amazing yeah <laughs> um,
0: yeah but they call him
1: fat kid well I guess they call him chunk they make him do the truffle shuffle Adam <laughs> yeah alright alright
2: alright I'll give you
1: that I don't know and especially like the the whole driving force of this is like oh man our town is gonna go away it's gonna bulldoze over everything <laughs> I never really get a full sense of this town and the sort of quote unquote camaraderie that's supposed to be going on here then
0: they give him a bag of Halloween fucking gems.
1: And they're like, oh, we're safe! <laughs> the the, <laughs> the rush part of this ending is like, even as a kid, I'm just like, wait, what is happening? Like, this is all happening in like 10 minutes? It's just like, hey, oh, uh, we got jewels, so we're safe, and everything's fine, and we're gonna rip up the contract, and also Sloth's gonna live with fucking Chunk.
0: Any normal parent, myself being one, would get like my kid would have me that like, what the fuck? We're not gonna get evicted, and I throw it into the water. <laughs> like, <laughs> give <laughs> me this garbage.
2: <laughs> um, you got jewels? Oh good for you.
0: Oh great. Oh, go ahead and wait in the car, Princess. Danny's <laughs> gotta take care of business. <laughs> um you know, the thing is about this too, you gotta admit, there would be no monster squad. There would be no Losers Club. There would be none of that without the Goonies. Oh, yeah. The Goonies started it all.
1: To be fair, you can trace the origins of something like this all the way back to, like, our gang. Fucking shorts from the 30s.
0: Oh, yes. I'm talking about where it it really exploded in the 80s. You know, these kids' adventure movies.
1: Like, I appreciate the influence the movie had. Like, I, I think I appreciate it more as, like, a point of film history than as much as a movie. That's why I'm saying, like, it's uh, it's overrated, but I don't hate it, necessarily. Because there's still fun stuff. Like, I like a lot of the booby traps. I like the sort of art design of it. I like the whole piano thing where it's, like, you push one key and it's wrong and everything falls apart. Stuff like that. Or even, my, I think the best scene in the movie that I wish more of the movie could be like is the scene where they're under the wishing well. The thing that has the perfect mixture of, like, the nostalgia... Of like, oh man, this is the wishing well. This is something that we really connected to in this town, and the like, com- the back and forth between all the kids and all those. I think that wishing well scene is like what I wish the whole movie could be like. I would throw the penny in the well and wish it could be all like this. Like the line that really hits me is like when Corey Feldman says, "Like, well, this is my wish, and it didn't come true, so I'm taking them all back." Like that's another good example. Just right. like I, the this is where the movie kind of hit its perfect point. And I would argue before and after never quite achieves again.
0: Well, Desmond, I want to thank you for coming on the last episode of our show.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I can't argue with you, Tom. I mean, again, it's all personal opinion, especially when it comes to underrated and overrated. It's the one that's going to be the most hotly contested or the potentially. So what is it specifically? Like, do you have what, what's one scene you can think of that kind of lost you for this
1: movie? Um, like watching it this time. I think it's probably, it's a lot of the stuff sort of earlier on, like the whole scene where it's like the data comes through on like the fucking zip line and just like comes in and they break the statue and it's just this whole business about like, oh look, we gotta put the penis right side up and all this other stuff. Even as a kid I was just like, ah, okay.
0: Those crazy fun hijinks? Those little kids getting in shenanigans? Yeah. That's what
1: lost the movie for you? <laughs> I just think, like, I, I appreciate the idea of the hijinks. I just think it's not the most fun hijinks. You know, I'll say, I'll take that back slightly because at least there's, like, a lot of, like, production going into that. I think it's more when they go up into the attic and it's a lot of just, like, children just screaming over each other about bullshit and I just didn't find any of it funny. Or it's just like, oh, yeah, the you know, like, the tongue's going through the painting, and if Corey Feldman pushes it down, just like, oh, hey, this, this is not fair, and Johnny has, it's like, you're ruining the painting! It's like, oh, shut the fuck you up. must be a blast at a kid's well, birthday I mean, party.
2: Oh, my look, God. I, I can, look, Dude. I don't mind
1: it in other contexts. Like, there's other kids' movies that have, like, a similar say like, I loved as a kid. Like I mentioned, like, I love a Gremlins, I love... It's even, like, an E.T. You know what, an E.T., I think, does a better job at sort of, like, balancing, uh, like, kids acting naturally with the fantastical. Because it's a... I take,
0: I take,
2: I kind of (laughs) hate E.T. I'll watch the Goonies over E.T. any day.
1: Well, I think I just appreciate more of, like, when there's a more consistent sort of style going on. I think, like, Steven Spielberg obviously did such a great job of that with an E.T., where there's sort of the grounds of, like, these kids are, like, the only people that they really have along with their mom. And it's this grounded sort of, like, oh, you know the threat of, like, the dad's left divorce is just hanging over everything all the kids are kind of yelling at each other but it feels like a more grounded movie than this fantastical element comes into it and it feels a lot more at least consistent with like what the vision of the movie is this is more coming from an adult perspective now as a kid i couldn't really define this but it's like i felt more for like even when the hijinks happen et i felt more of like a relatable notion to it versus like with goonies i i just always kind of found it like Alright, this is like silly, but it's never really like it never really stuck with me. As a kid I didn't ever hate this movie. This was one I never really revisited because I don't think I really clung to it as emotionally as like I did other kids' movies that did a better job, I would argue. Hmm. No,
0: that's fine. I get that. Huh. Uh you know, like like I said earlier, jokingly, I mean different strokes, different folks. It's just this one didn't connect with you. And I mean i'd hate to wear that badge on my coat because you are definitely in a minority when it comes to this um but not in a bad way uh like i said i watched it i loved this movie but i watched it and there are things in this movie that i i feel are you know especially a little outdated and it does sometimes feel a little long in the tooth so this is probably definitely one for me that's uh you know, so beloved because of nostalgia reasons. But I could see if I was a kid and I didn't connect with it, watching it now, there'd be no way I could reconnect with it. There'd be no way.
1: I think especially because it's also one of those ones from the Amlin era that I don't think really lasted generationally. Like, I know kids who were around my age who, like, loved Gremlins. Because Gremlins is just like, oh, oh, my God, fun, monsters, puppets, all this other shit. Well, versus...
0: if, if, if you know people who don't love Gremlins, you need to, like, get that <laughs> out of your
1: Snip it out. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously. Uh, or, like, an E.T. or some of these other ones, I think, have actually had more of a cross-generational approach. Versus, I don't know if A Goonies has quite had that. It is very, you know, sort of personal to a lot of kids who, like, grew up in the 80s with it. But I think at the same time, that's kind of also speaks to the power of like a stranger things. Is like most of the people who like are my age who have brought up that up was like, yeah, it's kinda of like a Goonies thing. They're like, Goonies? What what is that? Who the hell are you hanging Kids out with? Kid's my own goddamn <laughs> age, Shadow. <Adam. laughs> <you know>, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> like the the influences they'll point it. to are like E T or Gremlins now <laughs> and say like, oh Goonies, it's like what? I weep for the future.
2: Yeah. Well, I can see, though, like how it is very much like a generational thing because it's quintessential 80s. Like, I mean, Cindy Lauper is on the soundtrack. Like, that's like the her big song on that film.
1: Uh, controversial opinion. I have more of an attachment to the Cindy Lauper song and even the two part music video, which I would argue you could just watch the two part music video that does the plot of Goonies, but it has... Like cool wrestlers and like Andre the Giant or Roddy Piper or those other ones. It's like, oh, it's the best parts of the movie distilled into like twelve minutes.
2: Uh, I don't know about that, but
1: okay. (laughs) Uh. Look, I was dropping a hot take, and that's a pretty hot take.
2: (laughs) But I mean, you know, I'm just like Adam. This is a very nostalgic movie. Like, I'm I'm a kid of the '80s. And this was one that was on constant rotation. It was it was this and Monster Squad and Weekend at Bernie's. Like those were the movies that we used to watch over and over and over again. And um just every everything about it just brings me back to being like, you know, a four or five year old watching this on VHS. And it's like that VHS tape that's like nearly worn down and you keep rewatching it over and over again. Like that's my memories of this film and yeah, it's it's definitely tied to the nostalgic aspect. But the thing that I really like about it is that these kids like these, these were like my friends when I was a kid, you know, we would tease each other, we would give each other shit. We would totally just kind of, you know, horse around like that. And you know, the, the whole thing when they're in the attic, and they're yelling at each other. I always thought that was funny because those were my friends. That's what we did. We we would fuck around like that and be dicks to each other. But at the end of the day, we were still friends. We just you know like to like to mess with one another. Um. So I really liked that the kinship that these kids had. Yeah, it was like all the all the traps that they get into. Uh, the kind of Indiana Jones aspect to it. Um, and then data's, uh, inventions, like I love all that stuff. And it's, um, again, it's very eighties. It's very much of that time. And it's like a little time capsule. If you wanted to see what the eighties was like, you know, just that kind of like little snippet, this had a lot of, you know, what it was about, you know, this and like breakfast club and uncle buck, like. Those are the kinds of films where if you want that little, you know, lens into the 80s, this is, you know, classic 80s Americana.
1: Well, I think unless you have anything else to say, that's a pretty good final thought, Desmond, that can transition us in here. Right. And then Adam, your final thoughts on The Goonies? Well, you know, it it
0: is definitely a nostalgic time capsule for me, but I absolutely adore this movie. And you know, Thomas, I, I forgot you're not alone. The wife doesn't really care for this movie either. Uh, in fact, when I bought it, I was like, oh, I found Goonies. I bought Goonies. It was in the $5 bin or something. She's like, so? <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. Divorce. Divorce. No, I, I just, I'll always have a soft spot through this movie. This is probably the first movie I remember seeing Corey Feldman in. Um, it's definitely the first movie I remember seeing Brolin and Aston and all those guys in. And definitely Joe Pantoliano. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I said, I'll always love this movie. And, uh, is it flawed? Sure. But what movie isn't, but that's all. I mean, I, I just, I love the movie. I love the fantastical elements to it. I, and like Desmond said, I love the inventions. I love the, all the, you know, kids just constantly dicking with each other and yelling over each other or mouth speaking Spanish to the, to the maid and telling her all this shit about the family. That's not <laughs> true. I think it's, a, I think it's funny and it's just a fun movie, but you know. I guess not for everybody. So, and to uh, prove that point, Thomas!
1: (laughs) Well, um, (laughs) while you all have your pitchforks and your uh, torches aimed at me, um, it's like I said, I don't, like, hate this movie, despite the sort of grinchy argument people are trying to kind of put on me, the spin that's happening on this show. Um, I just think maybe it also has to do a lot with, I'm very sort of tired of 80s nostalgia, as much as I do love a lot of films from the 80s, like I said, a bunch of movies from that decade, some of my favorite films are from that era. At the same time, I, I just think the sort of canonization of, like, anything that happened in the 80s has gotten so sick for me. It's more mass-marketed at this point, especially post-Stranger Things, where I'm going into Target, and I see, like, oh, it's a bunch of fucking DVDs that look like VHSs. Like, I get it. Calm the fuck down. <laughs> but at, at the same time, I appreciate the influence this movie had. I appreciate... Um, a lot of the stuff like the production design. I, I haven't talked that much about the fatalities, but I do agree. I think they're a fun kids version of like Mops, especially Anne Ramsey, who I can't believe we didn't talk enough about because she's, so oh, she's so great. I, the, but then again, I I'm yeah. the weird kid who was like my favorite Anne Ramsey thing is Throw Mama from the Train, which is admittedly yeah. oh, great. Owen, <laughs> perfect. Yep. I, I like <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a very I think also an underrated movie. I think that one that's gotten lost to time a bit, but. Um, for, for Goonies and also I mean like Robert Davi doing opera is so yeah, fucking yeah. weird just an odd choice it's scary
0: it's kind <laughs> of it scary it is kind of
1: scary yeah and I think also Donner does a really good job with like a lot of especially the lighting stuff in this movie as a director like I mentioned when Sloth sort of like put into the shadows or when Robert Davi like shows up in the car when like he turns on the lights and it's like a horrible like red furnace background to it um there's there's a lot of like fun directorial touches too so i don't think this is necessarily a terrible movie um i do feel some of that kinship but like i said i think all the teenage characters are pretty fun but at the same time i just think the the kid stuff just feel even at the time when i was watching i'm just like well i'd fine but i'm just not the biggest fan of these characters because they're all kind of one note i think they all kind of have like the same note they keep playing throughout and they don't do a lot of like interesting different stuff as they go along i don't see much progression going on with these kids by the end of their journey except like i said freaking chunk adopts a mentally handicapped person Mm -hmm. and i'm sure his parents are fine with that
0: we all wanted a sloth as kids i got look can i ask you an honest question thomas yes do you think that maybe 80s nostalgia bothers you you so much because you didn't grow up in the 80s you're out of touch with it maybe or not, maybe necessarily out of touch is the right word, but you don't connect with it.
1: Well, I don't know if it's quite that, because it's like I said, I, my dad like ma- made me watch this movie, but also introduced mm-hmm. me to like some of my favorite movies, which are stuff like you know, a little shop of horrors, or a Gremlins, or like a lot of Back those... to the Future. Back to the Future, obviously, yes, of course. Like I, I, it's not that I don't appreciate any stuff. To be fair, it's also happening with ninety stuff that I was like more attuned with. Like that's creeping up ever closer. Where it's just like it's it's more just the kind of in your face mask nostalgia, kind of like what we were talking about with Strange Days, where we sort of like are so obsessed and mindlessly about like, oh man, this old stuff from the past, so great, so wonderful. Even movies I love dearly are kind of going through this canonization that I'm like, fucking stop. <laughs> it's it's a bit overmuch, I would say, with that. And I think that definitely is a big influence on why I feel it's overrated. But at the same time, it's not in a way where like I completely hate this movie. And I appreciate what it kind of produced afterward. If anything, it's a movie that introduced cool ideas into the pop culture sphere. And other people took from it, I think, did better jobs afterward with it. Fair enough. <laughs> well, we, we have reached um, a treaty on this podcast. And that's the end of our discussion of our two films, our underrated and our overrated film. And before you all burn me at the stake, uh, let's go ahead and get into our feedback. Where every single Monday, we put out a feeler about, like, hey, what are your favorite and least favorite films from whatever genre that we're doing for a topic. And you all answered with um, quite a bit of feedback here. Um, First from former guest James Rodriguez says, "...the swimmer is an underrated feature. At face value, it's just Burt Lancaster going from pool to pool, having conversations before he swims, and then moving on. But the unfolding narrative is what makes it work, as more layers are revealed and the underlying sadness becomes more evident." Uh, Go into it uh, knowing very little and come away with a new feature. I also want to mention Wild Tales, an Oscar-nominated feature which seems to have been forgotten. A blackly hilarious anthology connected by one thing, revenge. Um, And as for the other side, I'm not a fan of The Raid. Of course, the action choreography is brilliant. I have eyes. But the poorly defined characters and lackluster script just drags it down for me. Um, Scott Johnson says, I think what constitutes as overrated and underrated is really personal. So there were some notable picks from the past few years, in my opinion. Overrated, Roma, First Reformed, The Nice Guys, The Red Turtle, and Manchester by the Sea. Underrated, Pain and Gain, Old Man and the Gun, Colossal, Popstar, Never Stop, Never Stopping, and Logan Lucky. Uh, Shaquille Lambert says, Underrated, The Wackness and ATL are two really underseen and underappreciated coming-of-age stories. Overlord is an ex- ...extremely entertaining genre mashup... Treasure Plant is still one of the best Disney post-Renaissance era movies... ...and finally, Running Scared is both a really... ...inventively fucked up crime thriller... ...and proof that Paul Walker was not a horrible actor. Overrated, 2001 A Space Odyssey is a movie I appreciate technically... ...and loathe every other way... Drive and Lady Bird are movies I respect way more than I actually enjoy, and was soured afterward by their fan bases. La La Land is pretty much everything that bothers me with musicals, and Burning is a movie that inspires an apathetic rage in how little it actually does, and was simultaneously adored. Uh, Nate Thomas says, overrated, there will be blood in the dark night. Re- uh, Brian Kane says, reign of fire comes to mind as underrated, I love the apocalyptic yet borderline goofy concepts that are played straight, and I can't think of any overrated uh, that hasn't already been widely labeled as such. Uh, Elliot T. Shot says uh, Overrated Reservoir Dogs. Somewhere it just stopped holding up. Uh, Daniela Beliveau, uh says Underrated Joe Dirt. Um, Elwood Tiberius at Elwood underscore Tiberius said Underrated Star Trek 3. It has the tongue-in-cheek, uh, cast-let-loose narrative that was perfect in 4 um, and any sci-fi ensemble afterward, and the production design on the ships like the Excelsior, the Starbase, and the Klingon Bird of Prey came to define Star Trek going forward in The Next Generation. Also, Christopher Lloyd as, again, somewhat tongue-in-cheek a bad guy. Um, It's a trope that survived an onslaught of super-serious villains in the 80s through the aughts to thrive in our postmodern action entertainment. And then Will Torres says underrated Citizen Kane because people including myself have been calling it overrated for so many years when in fact it's still a really good movie, just not the best. Still deserving of all the accolades. Then overrated Citizen Kane because it's still not the greatest movie of all time. I think it's pretty succinct. Yeah. That's a lot of good picks
0: there. Uh, although I didn't know that James Rodriguez was going to turn into one of my uh, mortal enemies. I didn't expect that. Because <laughs> of the raid. The raid? Come on, bro. The raid is kick-ass. Yeah. If you're, if you're watching the raid for character development, first of all, stop. You're not going to appreciate the movie for what it is. The movie that the raid was made just to be a kick-ass by movie. That's the only reason that movie exists. And if you watch it with that in mind, then it's one of the best of the last 20 years easily.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and I 100% agree with everything Scott Johnson said.
1: Uh, did any of those uh, spark your interest there, Desmond?
2: Um, You know, I I have to disagree with the whole uh, The Dark Knight being overrated by I, Nate Thomas. I agree. I hate that fucking movie oh my i I love that movie so much, and I, i'm I'm a big comic geek, and I have a ton of Batman comics, and it was like that's Batman. Like they totally you know got the essence of who that character is. and Christian Bale nailed his performance as both Batman and Bruce Wayne because you have to separate the two. They're two different characters, and he's able to play both. Like so freaking perfectly, and then Heath Ledger, come on!
0: God, like, we were we were so in sync this entire episode until uh, now.
2: I <laughs> just i the Dark Knight is just that it's uh, not only a fantastic uh, comic book movie, but it's such a great crime thriller. Yeah, I I think I saw it in the theaters like three times when it was in theaters, and loved it each and every time.
1: I mean, look as someone who on the first day he saw the Dark Knight. Like, watched the whole thing and was like, you know what? I'm going to stay and watch it again for the next showing. <laughs> As someone who fucking did that. Oh, and- gosh. Um, I still say at the same time, like, I can see calling it overrated in terms of, like, I think the sort of fan base that's attached itself to that movie is, to put it mildly toxic. I think, uh, to put it mild, as like people with like Joker avatars who are pieces of shit. Like, I mean, I get that. I I think there's a certain amount of overratedness to it, but at the same time, I can still appreciate and love that movie, even though like I might slightly disagree with the Christian Bale thing more on the Batman side of it, Um, It because I mean, that voice, dude. (laughs) Oh, that voice is so bad. It's a bit. It's a bit silly. (laughs) I personally, I. I, (laughs) What
0: is going on?
2: <laughs> I think that I mean this might be controversial, but my personal favorite Batman is is Ben Affleck. Like, I thought that when I look at like um, the uh, the Dark Knight Returns comic book and how he was written in that book, Frank Miller. That's Batman to me. And when Ben Affleck was Batman, he was all beefy and huge and just like – only
0: in the one movie though. That's the problem. I, I do oh, disagree no.
2: I know. And never and, and uh, ever
0: Superman, perfect. Oh, yeah, perfect. I wish... League, now he's cracking jokes and, and you're like, okay. Oh, you
1: can, and you can tell Ben's heart isn't in it anymore at that point, especially like the scenes that were clearly reshot. And he just looks like yeah. – uh, can I wear like the suit that has muscles? I don't I don't want to do this anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, I have not been working out.
2: <laughs> like, yeah, you... Batman Man Batman is like pitch perfect Batman. But then right after that, like in terms of how Batman and Bruce Wayne is performed, it's the dark knight. Like Christian Bale to me, like his his character arc, the story arc, everything that happens to him, it defines everything what Batman is going to become and how he becomes, like, this legend.
1: I will say, in terms of, like, some of the ones I, I really do agree with, like, Colossal that Scott brought up, that is a, such a great movie and nobody talks about it. That is such, I think it's my favorite Anne Hathaway performance, and Jason Sudeikis goes really dark in a really interesting way. Um, I, That's, like, one of the most creative kaiju movies I've ever seen. It's it's such a phenomenal, underrated movie. I, I, have you guys seen Colossal?
2: I have. have you I done? haven't. I haven't yet. I've been waiting to see it.
0: It is on Hulu. Um, but I agree with you, Tom. Said that, that Jason Sudeikis' performance made me like want to see more of that type of work out of him. Like he's really, mm. really good in that.
1: And of course, the mention of Popstar, Never Stop, Never Stopping. I mean, if you're if you're a fan of like Hot Rod or the, the Lonely Island shorts, uh, the beginning, this and now, Popstar, Never Stop, Never Stopping is like, basically that at feature length. It's an
0: hour and a half version, yeah. It's so fucking funny. It's so good.
1: There's a whole song about where they're dissing the Mona Lisa as a painting. (laughs) And it's the most amazing fucking thing possible.
0: (laughs) Well, it's singing about the girl, how hot she is. And she wants him to you know, screw him like the U.S.
1: government screwed Ben Laden. Yeah, fuck Ben Laden. <laughs> another phenomenal oh song. My God. Oh, and so many great cameos. <laughs> it's um, it's another one where it's like I put that in like Walk Hard in a similar space where I think they're both like phenomenal movies that nobody saw about the music industry in different ways. Um, and yeah, the, the songs are all legitimately just fucking great. But I mean, uh, what about the Reservoir Dogs comment? As we're getting close to a Quentin Tarantino return, do we agree with mm-hmm. that?
0: i haven't seen it quite a while so i don't know but i i, I kind of think i'm not going to agree with it
2: yeah i mean it's it's hard for me to call that film overrated because it's it's everything that independent films strive to be is what reservoir dogs is like I don't know. It's hard to say it's overrated because it is such a seminal film when it comes, especially to like 90s cinema and to um, Tarantino's uh, filmmaking. You see everything that he's setting up for future films and in, in that film, you know, similar to like what the Wachowskis did with the movie Bound and then eventually made The Matrix. Like mm-hmm. you see where they are starting to hone their craft as filmmakers and so ah, it's hard for me to say that film's overrated because it, it is so influential.
1: I could see somebody, as a big fan of this movie, mind you, I could see someone making the case more for Pulp Fiction, necessarily because I think that one mm. was more oversaturated. Because um, how many fucking Pulp Fiction ripoffs did we get from the mid-90s to the end of the 90s? Right. Like right. fucking thousands of them. <laughs> and most of them are terrible.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's it's the same thing that happened with Scream. There were so many clones of Scream over and over and over again in the late 90s to where it's like, I wouldn't say Scream is overrated, but, you know, it's one of those films where it's like, man, it, it's it's copied over and over again that it, it kind of loses its, uh, its punch, its muster.
1: Though, while we're talking about Tarantino, in terms of underrated, uh, Jackie Brown, easily. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal film that nobody talks about where it's like, oh, yeah, Kill Bill, Pulp Fiction. It's like, fucking Jackie Brown. I wish you would make more movies like that that are chill but still incredibly intense at the same time. But you know what, uh, Desmond, what are some movies that you would sort of consider underrated overrated? overrated? Like a lightning round, some quick ones.
2: Yeah, uh, overrated, Forrest Gump. I do not like that movie whatsoever.
1: It doesn't age very well (laughs) Um, at all, no.
2: Well, even when I saw it as a kid, like – I did not like it just I don't like those like hey let's be overly like feel good and look at this guy who's like really trying really hard like we got a root for him. And I don't know. It's just the whole thing with, like, the feather floating around the box of chocolates. It's just, it, it's too sappy for me.
1: And then not to mention, it's like, oh, let's completely support this guy who we treat essentially as a patsy for boomer culture. And then meanwhile, right. oh, what's his uh, best gal doing? Oh, she's getting sucked into the drugs of the 60s and then dying of AIDS.
2: Yeah. Great movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? what am I supposed to learn here? Like, what are you trying to show me? Like... It it just, ah, uh, yeah. That that film infuriates me. And as as I have gotten older and watched it more and more, I'm like, oh no, this is like you know still a terrible, terrible movie. I don't get the love for that movie and underrated. Well, I mean, Dagon is one of them, right off the top of my head. Uh, I think that's a criminally underrated uh, film. And then there's another film that came out this year that. No one has been talking about. Midsummer actually took the top spot from it for my favorite films this year. But uh, Climax by Gaspar Noe uh, came out around March of this year. And it is a fantastic movie. And no one is talking about it. And it's you can rent it on Amazon Prime. And I highly suggest renting it. If you've ever seen any of Gaspar Noe's films, like Irreversible... Or uh, into the void, you know. You know what you're getting yourself into. It's an intense film, but it's um, it's a real cinematic experience.
1: I, I've heard great things about that movie. I think someone brought it up in our feedback last week. It's um, like a really underrated one from this year. But um, at, at the same time, like I, I can see why maybe people aren't talking about it as like someone who's seen a couple of Gaspar Noé movies. Where it's like, oh, these are incredibly mainstream movies by Annie Stritch.
2: Oh yeah, and um, oh this. This might be controversial as well, but a, a couple other films that I think are overrated as far as um, you know, more recent, I think it, Chapter One is overrated. Good movie, but I don't think it's as brilliant as people make it out to be. Um, and Us. I actually preferred Get Out a lot more than Us, but still a very good movie. But seeing the the advertisements for the scariest movie of all time, it's like, no, it is not. Some of that kind of ruins it, you know, where don't overhype this movie so much because the hype doesn't necessarily live up to the actual end product.
1: I mean, I do second that problem. I've always had this problem. Like, trailers have been doing that, especially the last, like, ten years or so. It's, like, a bunch of blurbs from, like, oh, boy, disgusting, and this other thing, and this other thing. Say, it's the scariest movie of all time. You shut your pants, *Bearing the Exorcist, blah, blah, blah. The, the standard things that people use to get those fucking blurbs in front of trailers. Yeah um i I think that discredits a lot of movies like even though uh we just talked about us last episode and how much we adam and i really loved it at the same time i do get that sort of problem i think that's something that's really hurting and i think makes the horror community a bit more protective of other movies when people like sort of put that out there and it's like oh no this isn't nearly as good as this other horror movie i think that it's just kind of like poisoning the well more than Mm -hmm. doing any like actual effect in advertising a movie
2: oh yeah yeah and um and then one more underrated near dark as we're talking about it it was like oh man near dark is just such an underrated film
1: i think near Dark's starting to get a cult resurgence though again
2: right yeah that
1: one's just another problem unfortunately i think of like it was it's not that widely available like the last blu-ray release has gone out of print and when they put it out is it was during peak like twilight and they put out a cover where it's just like the two leads romantically looking at each other staring off like it's Twilight,
0: to where they even made him super pale and her
1: super yeah. Yep,
2: I know that's the one that I got, and I like I found it somewhere out of print, and it was like thirty bucks. So I'm like, no, I gotta, I gotta have this movie because I had it on VHS and was all beat up like that. And like, Interview with a Vampire, my favorite vampire movies. They're complete uh, polar opposite films, but they get like different nuances of vampires that I love.
1: I, I mean, I completely agree with all that. And, you know, also the second, just another underrated vampire movie I've always felt uh, Shadow of the Vampire with Willem Dafoe.
0: Oh, I love that movie. Talk about almost a pitch perfect dark comedy.
1: And, I mean, there's a reason Willem Dafoe got nominated for an Oscar for it because he's so fucking great at playing a slimy rat like vampire. <laughs> it's so good. Have you seen that one, Desmond?
2: I was like, oh, I'm trying to remember what that was about. But I'm like, oh, wait. Yeah, that's right. John Malkovich was in this yeah, movie. Yeah, right?
0: making oh. of Nosferatu. Yeah
1: actual real vampire
2: i've like seen bits and pieces of it but i haven't watched um the film in full but i've heard it's fantastic
1: i mean aside from admittingly spongebob squarepants uh, my introduction to nose for was that movie pretty much to like my dad loves that movie and yet i brought up like oh you know there's a it's based on like this movie called nose for he's like what's that because <laughs> no fucking idea what that movie That's is awesome. We've been talking a lot. Thank you all for that feedback. And also we want to thank a few people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music using our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarda for the art for our show. She accepts commissions at 502 com slash scarta And of course we want to thank Mr. Desmond over here. Desmond, plug away with your, I believe you have a YouTube channel and a
2: podcast, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, and uh, yeah, you can find me on YouTube and um, any Podbean, Stitcher, um, and iTunes, uh, Desmond's Flicks, um, and I'm all over social media. Desmond's Flicks, Um, I do. Movie reviews. I focus on horror specifically. Just released my midsummer review today, and I'm doing a retrospective series on the Scream franchise. So I'm going through all four of the films and digging in to the behind the scenes, how the films were made, and and all that good stuff. Um, and on the podcast, it's, it's um more conversational. You know, we we will go on for an hour, maybe an hour and a half, and. Just talk about horror films. Upcoming is going to be a double feature of Creepshow and Creepshow 2. So, uh, yeah, thanks again for having me.
1: Of course. We appreciate you coming on, especially even talking about two non-horror-driven films.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. It was a blast.
1: Yes. And you know, I'll say, to go slightly back to underrated, overrated, I think Scream 4 is kind of underrated. I think it's an interesting sort of deconstruction of the reboot.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and in rewatching the series, I... I used to like Scream 4 over Scream Three, but I actually prefer Scream Three now after watching it multiple times. But I'm I'm looking forward to to digging into those two films, especially because they are really divisive. The first two people genuinely, generally like either love or really like, but the last two that's um it it gets a little murky there where, you know, either you love it or you hate it um, with those two last films.
1: There's a bit more uh, Hollywood satire that's become a lot more relevant in recent years in Scream 3. Yeah. <laughs>
2: but, uh, it's pretty interesting.
1: And also, just an underrated moment in that entire franchise, uh, Luke Wilson as Skeet Ulrich in the movie within the movie stab <laughs> yeah. is so fucking funny. <laughs> I oh, love the shot yeah. of him with that Skeet Ulrich hair. <laughs> It's so great, uh you can also find us on twitter and uh facebook at d e d b pod that's where like we mentioned, we put out those images about like hey what's favorite least favorite thing every Monday. and uh, also we're uh at double edge double bill at gmail dot com for email if you want to do it the old fashioned internet way um or you can message me over on my own twitter account at not the who's tommy uh and I also do writing at mariani thomas dot wordpress dot com I would have both a spider man far from home. Uh, written review up there, and also a Midsummer one that'll be up by the time this posts. And speaking of Midsummer, you can also hear me talk about uh, both Midsummer and the OG Wicker Man on the Horror Returns podcast. I'm doing another guest appearance on there. It should be a lot of fun because I haven't recorded that yet unless something horrible happens.
0: Oh, you mean like if they're doing it at Lance's uh, wife's birthday party? Oh, no, that was, <laughs> that was my episode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> The listen to the Pet cemetery one, that's, uh, that's a fun bit. Oh boy. Bit. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but you know, I, I'll also, to I guess tease a bit, I do agree. I prefer Hereditary, but I thought Midsummer was quite great. But I don't see it at the same time gaining quite as much of a fan base. Because it's so much weirder. It's yeah. so much more out there. But, no, I dug that movie a lot. But uh, you can also uh, find Adam in his own pirate ship beneath his house, uh, where he's talking to One-Eyed Willie, right? Uh yeah i guess with your braces (laughs) just like one-eyed
0: willy yeah i only put them on for that i don't normally have them but every every day i go to see an orthodontist and get braces put on just so i can read the act goonies in the basement of my apartment
1: you're drowning (laughs) in debt for so many reasons because of that
0: oh dude it's outrageous
1: it's outrageous. (laughs) But you can um, also uh, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes uh, and rate and review the show, or share it around to give us more visibility. So Adam can not do that incredibly expensive hobby.
0: I don't know that I can quit it.
1: (laughs) You have an addiction. This is an intervention. It's a problem, Adam. It's a problem. (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, before you settle your addiction problems off, Mike, uh, we got to do our picking for next week, because if you're new to the show, at the end of every episode, we each have two movies. that One has two good movies, one has two bad, um, that basically um, are assigned numbers between 1 and 10. And then usually each of us would pick a number between 1 and 10 um, for, you know, choosing the good and the bad feature. Uh, but I have the good, and i has the bad for... I think a very interesting topic that I'm glad we're doing, uh, because The Lion King's coming out, the big, expensive CGI, live-action, whatever, remake, um, and Adam and I are both like, man, why are they remaking The Lion King? There's no point to that. We decided to discuss, you know, instead of, like, Disney movies or whatever other shit we could have done, we decided to do a topic about films worth remaking. Because how many useless remakes do we get? Let's uh, talk about ones that could deserve and maybe be improved by a remake. Even a good one or a bad one, but because Desmond's here, Desmond's going to do that picking. So Desmond, between my two choices, number between one and 10, uh, eight. Okay. At number seven, I had one that I do quite like another eighties cheesy movie, but at the same time I could see it being remade and being interesting. Uh, I'm talking about 1986's Highlander. So Christopher Lambert. Oh,
0: that's one that's constantly being toyed with being remade too. And I don't know that it needs to happen
1: would argue there's there's a lot of potential in that story that could benefit from a remake that uh could improve upon some of the issues the original movie had
0: you mean the frenchman playing scotsman
1: i mean there's there's that <laughs> there's a lot of things
0: um, it <laughs> <from the> <laughs> <is>. <laughs> like, No, it,
1: isn't. <laughs> you, it is. <laughs> <laughs> easily um but then at number two um i had one in terms of the disney stuff um i don't know if they'd ever do the remake that this movie deserves necessarily, but it's a good movie I quite like and have a, an attachment to from my childhood, but one that, you know, has a lot of problems that could be improved upon. Number two, I had 1996's The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I think that's 75% a great movie, and there's just 25% of it that's bullshit. <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but now, for Adam's two bad picks, Desmond, number between 1 and 10.
2: All right, uh, 6.
1: At number 5. I have The Island of Dr.
0: Moreau starring Marlon Brando, that version. I think that movie with a proper remake could be fantastic, but it's just such a shit movie to begin with.
1: I mean, we'll definitely be talking about that documentary talking about it.
0: Yes, 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 yes. And at number uh, 10, I had Steel with Shaquille O'Neal.
1: <laughs> I mean, that character deserves probably a better movie. That's uh but
0: yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. everything... The potential for it to be something big is huge. I mean, it's basically Black Superman. I I think it could be something very, uh, you know, sort of important. If it was, but Adam,
1: we'll we'll lose that great soufflé running gag in that movie. Oh, Oh, yeah, that's what all kids want in the superhero movies: (laughs) (laughs) soufflé gags. Uh, But on that note, uh, it's time for us to skedaddle out of here. So uh, let's go on our little pirate adventure, everybody. Let's find some uh, gold and save our town from being torn down.
0: Long live the giant condor.